listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Are you all ready to dive into the Word today? Okay, so I want you to know, first off, that um, this is going to be on version, like it always is. So if you have the version app, you can click the little hamburger button, the menu button down there, click events, and then find this event. Otherwise, it'll be posted to our Facebook family page and our social media pages. The reason I'm telling you that is because there's a lot of info, and I'm going to do my best to cover it as quick as I possibly can, um, simply because I don't want to keep you here until Jesus comes back. But we don't know when that's going to be. So just throwing that out there to you. Okay, <laughs> caveat. Um, there's a lot of information here, but I want you more than anything today to leave encouraged. Okay, we're going to talk about the signs of the times. We're going to talk about the end. And it can breed terror in your heart. But I want you to know something. Jesus wants you to leave here today encouraged about the end, not terrified of the end. Can I get a witness, somebody? So let's focus on that. You know, last week we talked about the idea of what we do when life gets blurry. Okay? Um, One of the main points was that you need to be okay with the blurry. Be okay when you have blurry moments in your life. And, and I think a lot of times we get into, especially as dudes, we get into fix-it mode. And what we need to do is we need to just drop the tools and stop trying to clear up all the blurriness and just look for Jesus in the midst of it. Yeah. We often get a blurry moment in our lives and we automatically assume that something is wrong with us. Now, there may be something wrong. But I think, I'll just tell you in my own life, I have experienced blurry moments in my life that were created by Jesus. And it's because it's not that he didn't, it's not that he wanted to to create the blurriness in for a specific reason, other than he wanted me to stop focusing on the thing I was focusing on that was taking my attention off of him. It's just like when Peter was walking on water, the waves and the wind were crashing around him. Sometimes what we need is Jesus to blur the area around so that we can just focus on him. So a blurry moment doesn't always necessarily mean a bad moment. What they should do, blurry moments should make you lean even harder into Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, why am I saying all this? That's because we are collectively in a blurry moment right now in terms of where we are concerning the end. I'm specifically talking about the end times, the rapture, the tribulation, all those scary words that pastors rarely ever talk about because we want to make sure that we encourage people, right? I felt an incredible urgency from the Holy Spirit to speak to you about this this week, um, about this today. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk through some of this. And listen, pastors don't really like talking about it. They don't like talking about it because, number one, it's hard to understand. I don't, know that there's, I don't know that there's anybody on this side of heaven that has every single little jot and tittle of it explained. It is very complex. There's so many variations about what people think. But what's it going to be like at the end? Life, what's life going to be like? I mean, I wake up in the morning, and I've been doing this thing here recently where before my feet touch, in fact, it's from The Chosen. I I adopted this after I watched The Chosen. Um, Before they go to bed or before they wake up, they stop and acknowledge Jesus. I'm talking about before their feet hit the floor, they stop and acknowledge their Creator. And so I've been doing this, and so when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I do is I just, okay, God, you let me have one more day. Praise you. Thank you. Awesome. Let's go get this thing today. And, of course, my next thought goes into um, um, do I wake Monique up or not because... Do I want to get stabbed? Or not? Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, the next thing is, um, is making sure our kids are, are awake because guess what? We've got to go to school. 
And then there's the mad 30-minute rush of getting everybody together and the lunches and all that kind of stuff packed up. And then we're out the door. And then once we're out the door, Monique and I are like, so what do we, what do, we do now? And then I'm like, well, I have church stuff to do. So I go to work and she quilts or what do you do? Love you. So um, I'm just going to look this way. I'm going to look this way. Guys, by the way, never walk in and go, what have you been doing all day? That's a horrible thing to say. Okay, so I'm thinking about all these things that i got to get accomplished today. That's where my mind goes. That's, that's what's happening in my mind. But what happens whenever God comes and Jesus comes and the rapture happens and the cares of this life are no longer an issue? Making money and running the business are no longer a thing. No more bills. No more Liberty City bills. Sorry, uh, electrical bills. Right? So <laughs> through the roof in the summer, right? So... No more of that. What's it going to be like, y'all? I think it might be like when you retire. You're like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Go fishing. Now, before you check out, because I've talked about the end times here for a second, let me make sure you understand what we're not talking about. We're not talking about making a stand where Jesus is going to come back on you know, September 18th at 7.15 p.m. So I don't want y'all outside your house going... Because I'm probably going to come to your house and blow a trumpet just to jack with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, womp, womp, womp. We're, not, we're not identifying a time, okay? And I'm also not claiming that the things that we're going to talk about today are definitively the end. We just need to look at some signs. So why talk about it at all? Here's why. I'm not doing my job as your pastor if I don't tell you what's going on and what to expect. That's what this boils down to. So a caveat. I have never been one of those Jesus is coming back kind of people. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, everything in the 80s was the devil, right? Antichrist, devil child, that was ACDC. You know, so if you listen to rock music, you're going straight to hell because that's the only thing that came out of that. Uh, you know, you can't drink Pepsi because it bubbles in your throat. And that's what, it's whatever. Everything was the devil back then. And I've heard my whole life, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And we can hear that so much, it becomes kind of numb in our system. We just like, eh, eh, whatever. But this is the exact reasoning behind me bringing it up today. There are some things that are going on in the world right now that look like what Jesus was talking about when he said that the end would come. These are signs that Jesus talked about that are intended to make the blurriness of the end more clear to the believers. So Matthew 24 is where Jesus talks a lot about this. And um, this is one of over 300 references in the Bible, by the way, to his return. Um, and so I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read bits and pieces out. Um, and so you can follow along either in version or here on the screen. Matthew 24, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Then you will be arrested and persecuted, killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills for there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. For false messiahs will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive even, so as to deceive even God's chosen ones. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like in Noah's day. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. You must also be ready at this time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. 
If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. But what if the servant is evil and thinks the master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant up to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites that in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is terrifying. Wars and threats of war and rumors and earthquakes and floods and terror. They'll hate you because you believe in Jesus. They'll hate you because you take a stand for morality. They'll hate you because you believe in the word of God. I know in America we have it nice and cushy right now, but there are people who right now are being martyred in China just for breathing the word of God. Jesus allowed all of this to be in the Gospel of Matthew, though, not to terrify you. He wants you to be the faithful, sensible servant, not the evil one. That's why we need to talk about this today. Satan wants you to think that you have all the time in the world. And if we take even the end times talk out of the equation, then you know you're not promised tomorrow. And listen, I've heard, I know, you ever, like pastors have said, Jesus is coming back. You've heard this argument that you might not have tomorrow, so you need to say yes to Jesus today. It seems like one of those ploys to just get you to do something. It's like a good sales pitch. But I'm telling you right now, your next breath is not promised. But Jesus said there'd be signs. So what signs should we be looking for to know that the end is near? And then more importantly, I think at the end, we're going to talk about how we should be responding to these signs. So here are 10 quick signs. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but here are 10 signs of the times. Number one, scoffers. Second Peter 3, 3-4. through four. Knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Listen to me, guys. The church needs to be really, really careful here. Because how many of you have heard somebody say, Jesus is coming back soon, and you just kind of went, that's a scoff. That's actually what a scoff is. You know? Oh, I bet you're rich. That's a scoff. We've heard it so long that we can get caught up in an automatic ignoring of any end-time talk. Now, no one is saying it's going to happen right now. No one is. But we're commanded to look for the signs of the times. So be sure that you aren't allowing your scoffing to keep you from seeing what's really going on in the world. Amen? Number two, apostasy. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Apostasy is the abandonment of or renunciation of a religious belief. I posted about a week and a half ago now on Facebook. I said, now is not the time to be pulling away from God, to be pulling away from Jesus, to be pulling away from the church. Now is the time to be leaning in harder than ever. And the reason is, is because of the signs that we see within the church of apostasy. If you ever have an issue with somebody at church, listen to me right now. Listen, somebody at some point is going to say something to you at this church that's going to rub you the wrong way. And you're going to get upset, okay? But your sign of spiritual maturity is going to be in how you handle that thing. So let me lovingly tell you, if you have a problem, deal with it. Do what Matthew 18 says and go to that person and have a conversation about that thing. Okay? If you don't forgive, 
if you don't want to be judged, the Bible says if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And if you judge, you'll be judged in the same manner. Do y'all realize that we're planning to spend eternity together? Eternity. So what should we be doing? Let's build bridges, not burn them. Third one is false teachers. Before I jump into false teachers, though, let me just say, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. I'm going to tell you right now, you can jump on YouTube, you can jump on TikTok, and you can find somebody that will back up what you believe. It's that easy. But you better be sure that you're getting the gospel, you're getting the Bible, biblical teaching, and not somebody's ideologies. You have to be very careful of that. Number three, false teachers. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. There's so much false doctrine out there right now that it's hard to keep straight, even in the church. We are consumed in our world right now by false doctrine. No, you don't need to speak in tongues to be saved like some denominations teach. Okay? You don't. Um, No, your good works won't save you like some denominations teach. Titus 3.5 clearly says that. It's not by your works of righteousness, but by His grace you're saved. Um, No, your membership at their church is not your ticket to heaven like some some denominations teach. You know there are denominations out there that if you're not a member of their church, you're not going to heaven. Find that in the Bible. Be careful you aren't adding your personal preferences to biblical doctrine. This is a problem we have in the church right now. Because, you know, any, any person that just feels led can go preach at a church somewhere and, and preach whatever doctrine that feels good to them. And we have to be very careful that our preferences are not creating biblical doctrine that doesn't exist. Let me give you a great example of this. Women in ministry. There's a one verse in the Bible that talks about women in ministry. And Paul says, it's, it's, I don't permit women to teach. That's what he said. Paul did not say, thus saith the Lord, women, know your place. You shall not teach in the church. Paul was giving his personal preference. But what's happened is people have built biblical doctrine around a personal preference. We have to be careful we don't do that. You know why? Because that's heresy. There's false messiahs too. Did you all know that? Let me give you one. Rabbi Menachem Mendel uh, Schneerson, this guy right here. This is a sign right now. These are all over New York City right now. There is a group of, of Jewish people in New York City that believe that he is the Messiah. And they're posting this all over the city that the Messiah is here. That's wild, isn't it? I mean, it's like, have you ever tried to insert somebody else's name besides Jesus? You know, Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name. Menachem, Menachem. There's just, it's just not the same. That ain't him. Even, even worse, look at this one. Rabbi Shlomo Yehuda Be'eri. This guy right here. He's already had seven miracles attributed to him in Israel. He's hailed as a prodigy by the leading priests and rabbis. He memorized the Old Testament 
and the Talmud, which is the rabbinical law, by the age of 15. And the rabbis and priests who are at the top of the chain in Judaism are treating him in the same way that Jesus was treated in the temple when he was 12 years old. I'm not going to say anything about the fact that the Messiah has glasses on. Maybe the Messiah has astigmatism. I don't know. What my point is, is that there are people right now on this earth that believe this is the guy. It's insane. Number four, spiritualism. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Some translations say seducing spirits. This doesn't necessarily mean like mediums and witchcraft and psychics and mysticism. It can also mean allowing the enemy to seduce us into worshiping anything other than God. Because that's what this spiritualism is trying to do. So let me give you an example. Emotionalism within the church. Emotionalism is a type of spiritualism. You may have heard a term called soaking, where people just like sit in his presence. I'm not saying soaking is bad. What I am saying is that we have to be careful. We don't let emotionalism become spiritualism and then take us off the course of what the Bible teaches. What about grave sitting? You ever heard of that one before? There's a group of people out in California that they will go to the graves of, of, of renowned people within the faith. They will lay on their grave and pray that the spirit of that person rests inside of them. That's happening today. Search it on YouTube. Search grave sitting on YouTube. and you, It's amazing. It's a spiritualism. A person trying to use things like emotions to fabricate a spiritual experience. Tell me something. How is that not manipulating a situation or environment to set an, a, a goal that you've, to achieve a goal that you've set? When you come into worship, God will use emotions and he will allow you to operate in your emotions. But when your emotions begin to drive, you're entering into a realm of spiritualism and not true worship. Your emotions don't get to drive. Your emotions can be part of the worship experience but they cannot drive the worship experience. Okay, I know some of y'all be like, what, what are you talking about, dude? This is a big problem right now in the non-denominational church. A big problem, okay? Uh, number five, perilous times. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. See, they look all godly. They look like they have everything together, but they deny his power. And the reason and the result is all of these things that I just listed. Avoid such people. Jesus says you're supposed to welcome everybody. He says right here to avoid people that are dabbling in all of these things that we're talking about here. We're definitely already here in this moment. If this is a sign of the times, we're there. If you want some proof, like look at politics. My goodness. I think sometimes it'd be better if the whole thing burnt to the ground and we started all over. What about social media? Good Lord, Dayton and Liberty 411. Come on, somebody. Y'all know y'all sit up with a bowl of popcorn and just like, ooh, what's going to happen on 411 today? People are crazy. And you know something? Some people don't know the fact that you don't have to push the send button. Okay, look, type it out. Type out what you want to say. Type it all out. Get it exactly like, do the punctuation. Because you know, if you don't, if you misspell a word, somebody's going to bust on you, all right? So make sure it's all right. Okay, everything good. And then right before you click send, if you hear something in your head that goes, should you really be doing this? 
That ain't the devil. Okay? Because the devil, what he would have you do is, you know them big giant spoons that sometimes people use as decoration at, at their houses? That's what Satan wants you to do with the 411. It's just like stir the mess. Perilous times. People who are completely and totally consumed with themselves. Selfish, arrogant people. Anybody like that in the world today? Number six, heap treasure. James 5, 1 through 3. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Remember, guys, God doesn't care what you have. He cares what has you. And if your possessions have you, then your possessions are going to have you at the end, too. You know what I'm saying? Here's what the problem is. Jesus said it was easier for a person, for a rich person to go through the eye of a needle, a camel to go through the eye of a needle, than a rich person enter into heaven. Why did he say that? It's simple. It's because it's nearly impossible to give up something that you are convinced is your salvation. So what you're going to see is people at the end are going to hoard money to themselves. Have you noticed this at all? I mean, like... I'm not trying to call out Bill Gates. That guy's got a lot of money. But you know what he's doing? He's buying up all the farmland he can get his hands on. Now, why is he doing that? Interesting enough, he's invested heavily in a company that puts this specific coating around fruit called Appeal, A-P-E-E-L. And I, I know y'all think I'm getting into some crazy theories or whatever, but just look it up. It's a, it's a they call it a plant-based coating, but it's, it's a chemical-infused coating that is supposed to make fruit last longer. They're currently right now trying to produce fruit in labs so that we won't have to grow anything in trees anymore. Now, you think, well, okay, that'd be good for humanity because we, we don't have enough food. We have exponentially a lot of food. We got a lot, a lot of food. Okay, that's not the problem. But do you think this might have anything to do with in the end times being able to control your buying and selling? Okay, I know. Let me get my tin hat on. It's okay. But I just want you to know something right now. That God will cause to rot and crumble anything in your life that you think is your salvation that's not him. I'm going to say it again. God will cause to rot and crumble anything that you have in your life that you think is your salvation that's other than him. Number seven, the Laodicean warning. Revelation chapter three. This is Laodicea was was where a church was. We see in uh, starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. That sounds like America, doesn't it? Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold, refined, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you might be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. Listen, lukewarmness keeps you from understanding what is really happening in your life. You can't detect the temperature changes around you. You think it covers you, but you're naked. You think it helps you see better, but it blinds you. And there's, there's so much going on right now, so much of this lukewarmness inside of the church that it's making Christianity impotent. Of course, if you're the enemy, that's a really good tactic. That's really great. I don't have to kill you, steal from you or destroy you. I just have to kill your potential and steal your purpose and destroy your drive to be godly. The hotness 
refusal to make a stand on issues dilutes the saltiness and brightness of his kingdom. Number eight, the fig tree sign. Matthew 24, starting in verse 32, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, this is specifically a reference to Israel. In this passage, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, which did happen, but which not only included the destruction of the religious system, but the destruction of Israel as well as a nation. Now, the budding of the fig tree indicates Israel's rebirth as a nation. We saw that happen in 1948. Well, I didn't see it, but you know, I heard about it. Um, a generation in the Bible is said to be between 75 and 100 years. So if the fig tree does represent Israel and the budding does represent the nation returning, is it possible, again, is it possible that we have 75 to 100 years after the birth of the nation of Israel in 1948? I'm not saying it is. No one is setting dates, but it is crucial to understand the times. Number nine, distress of nations. Luke 21, 25 through 26. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. Sounds like climate change, doesn't it? People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what, the world, of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, there are clear battle lines being drawn geopolitically. Now, I don't want to get too deep in a geopolitical lesson here, but you need to see the signs of the times. Number one, the U.S. and Russia. We've been at war since World War II, okay? Um, think the Cold War ended? Nah, it just got a little lukewarm. That's all it did, okay? Just heat it up a little bit. You have the United States and China. My goodness, we've been against China for how long now? But then you have something else happening in the world right now. It's called BRICS. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Now, this is a series of five nations that are united. These nations are linked in large part due to their opposition to the West, specifically the United States. Now, these nations have voted to remove the dollar as the standard and revert to the gold standard. Now, why is that important? Number one, since World War II, in World War II, we decided that the dollar was going to be the metric by which all other monies across the world was going to be uh, measured. So that's why when you go do an exchange rate, they always talk about how it is compared to the dollar. Okay? Now, the gold standard is what our money used to be based on. Richard Nixon is the one who, who changed that to where our dollar is now based on what the Fed sets instead of what gold we have actually in reserves. Now, why is that important? Okay, it's because right now the United States is just printing money and there's no gold to back it up. So the dollar itself has absolutely no security. These BRICS nations know that. And so what they're doing is they're reverting back to the gold standard. And when that happens, it's going to make the U.S. dollar crash. This is one of the reasons why people believe the United States invaded Libya is because Gaddafi was doing the same exact thing. Anytime you see a nation that's trying to come off of the dollar standard and onto the gold standard, we, some, for some reason, attack that nation. Go, go do your research. Go look it up. But the BRICS nations are not about that life. They just announced the addition of six more nations. Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. So why is this a big deal? Look at Revelation 13.1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. 
ten horns. Is that representing ten nations? But hold on a minute. Bricks is going to be eleven nations. Because it was five original and six have been added. But do you know something about that last nation that was added, the UAE? Do you know what the UAE is? It's a conglomeration of seven nations acting as one. So we have ten nations and then another nation that is really seven nations altogether. I'm not saying this is who it is, but I'm saying do we need to be looking at signs of the times? Is this what John was referring to in multiple locations in Revelation? The tens and the sevens. Now, as a result of the distress that we see going on in the world right now between governments, there is this big effort to push into one world government. Now, no, uh, y'all thinking I got my tin hat on. Just hang with me a little bit here, okay? Revelation 13, 11 through 17 says this. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Let me stop right here. Horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. What does this mean? It means that it's going to come at you with the appearance of somebody that is gentle and lowly and here to help. But when it speaks, it speaks violence because it's really against you. Remember, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. So it don't matter what you look like, what you're saying reveals what's inside of your heart. And so this government, whatever it is, will come at you making you think that everything is good and we're here to help you. But when they speak, it will be the violence out of their heart that's against you. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Is that a bomb? Is that an atomic bomb? I don't know. I'm just saying, look at the signs. And by the sign that is allowed to work the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This is where we get the phrase 666. Now, I don't know if you know this, but right now they're already testing chips that are implanted in your hand that when you go buy something, you just wave your hand over the center and it purchases it. In China right now, there's your social credit score, which basically means if your social score is good enough, you can actually buy. You should go on TikTok and you should search China social score and you will see there are videos of people who have tried to purchase items but can't because their social credit score isn't good enough. This isn't some, you know, 20, 30 out there thing. This is happening right now. Yeah. I'm not saying that the UN or the World Economic Forum is the one world government. But I do invite you to go take time, and I'll post this on our, our family page. Go read the World Economic Forum 2030 agenda. It's insanity. It's Revelation 13 before your eyes. And they're planning to do all this before 2030, which happens to coincide with exactly 2,000 years after Jesus was crucified. Just letting you all know. Digital currency, social scores, surveillance overreach in every single nation. It's happening right now. The last one is this, the, the, Noah's, the Noah days sign. Luke 17, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. First, it was life as usual. Okay, there were no warnings. In a twinkling of an eye, the Bible talks about. You know how fast the twinkling of an eye is? 16 nanoseconds. Your brain is said to not even be able to process things that, I mean, like you can't even process things in 16 nanoseconds. So like those people that went to the submarine, remember the submarine 
crashed or whatever, like it imploded. It happened, and they were already dead before they even realized what was happening. So the Bible talks about it in a twinkling of an eye. That scientists have discovered that 16 nanoseconds is a twinkling of an eye. You won't even know what happened. Second, it was as immoral as it could possibly be. Immorality was reigning. People were working harder than ever to twist biblical mores. Okay, they were completely, totally against the family. Completely, totally against the family structure. Um, they, uh, gender roles, for instance. They insinuated that men and women are unequal. Well, guess what? Men and women are different, okay? Just throwing that out there to y'all. If you don't think that, have you ever been around? Guys, have you ever been around another woman? They think completely different than we do. Like men are linear, right? With the, uh, but women are like spaghettis, right? Y'all, everything intertwines. Uh, I'm looking at y'all ladies. Come on. But you know what? That's okay because in God's system, both are valued for their unique contributions to the kingdom. Like lifestyles and their acceptance within the culture, especially in the church. Listen, I was in Bethesda um, last week, and every single church had the pride flag hanging on the church or draped on the pulpits at some points. Now, listen, before you freak out about that, listen, adultery is just a big a problem in the church, too. Pornography is just a big a problem in the church, too. So we have to be very careful that we don't judge somebody for them doing a sin that we can't see ourselves doing. Okay? It's just the truth of the matter. But, but the lust for fleshly gratification has completely infiltrated the church. When has sexuality, straight or otherwise, ever been the focus of Christianity? When? When has the focus ever been anything but Jesus and him crucified? This is where we're taking our personal preferences and we're creating biblical doctrine. The lust for fleshly gratification has infiltrated the church. And, and, and I realize that we do trend, tend to focus more aggressively on, on like homosexual behavior and stuff like that. But hear me, pornography, adultery, all of this stuff, it, it, it's rampant. And pastors aren't talking about it. Love the wife of your youth. You know, we've gone to the extreme. To the point now where even kids are being mutilated to try to change their gender. Well, preacher, you shouldn't be talking about that. Why not? Tell me how this is any different from sacrificing children of Moloch in Israel. How is it any different, man? And let me say one more thing about this. If God made a mistake in your sexuality, how in the world can, he tr- can you trust him with anything else? These are just signs of the times. But listen to me. Just like in Noah's days, just like in Lot's days, there were cravings and there were things that they wanted to do out of their flesh. But listen to me, not every craving should get satisfaction. When's the last time you wanted to punch somebody? Right now, preacher. Like, when's the last time you were driving and you were just minding your business and somebody pulled in front of you and went 13 miles an hour and you just wanted to go boom like that? But you know what? Not every craving gets your attention. You know, the Bible talks about this. Jesus says, take every thought captive. Every thought. Why are we allowing our flesh to run the show? So where do we stand on these issues that we're talking about here at Freedom Church, though? I tell you, we stand on grace and truth. Grace and truth. If you do truth only, you you break relationship. If you do grace only, you get compromise. But when truth and grace are working together, you get restoration. And that's what we're after here. 
So when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to homosexuality or adultery or pornography, here's the way I look at it is this. It's not my job to bash you over the head and tell you what you're doing wrong. I'm going to point you to your father in heaven. And if and when he wants me to help you deal with an issue in your life, he will have prepared both of our hearts for that moment. Because God is about restoration. He's not about condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's not about condemnation. It's about restoration. We don't affirm lifestyles. We affirm people. And we want to help people into the lifestyle that pleases and honors God. How does any of this craving of carnal lust play into the end times? Like, dude, you went off on a tangent. No, it's right here in the end times. Look right here. Revelation 17, 1 and 2. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of earth were made drunk with the wine of her sexual morality. Look at verse 5. Having her hand, in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filth of her sexual immorality. We live in a culture where sexuality and lust has become God And the Bible tells us this is exactly how it's going to be at the end. Parents, talk to your kids. If you don't know what time to talk to them, when you should talk to them, pray that the Holy Spirit would give you an answer. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't, somebody will. And I'm also telling you not to judge people and not to teach your kids to judge people. Teach your kids that the person doing the sin that you would disagree of in your home is just as much loved by God. And he's needing mercy just like you're needing mercy. Teach your kids to do the right thing, but also how to build bridges so that the people who are doing the wrong thing can get to the right thing. These are 10 signs of the end times. And they're all happening right now. Now, over the last weeks, I've been concerned. (laughs) I've had a healthy mix of sheer excitement and absolute terror. It started with a bunch of TikTok videos on the rapture. And I've always been afraid of that word. Because when I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, like freshman, sophomore. I had a dream. I was in my bed, and I had two friends from high school were sitting on the end of the bed. And, and, I, and all of a sudden, the rapture happened, and they just, shoop, went, I mean, they went up. They were like, fast, gone. Like, they were there and then gone. And then I just slowly started rising. And I'm like, oh, God, I need to work on my weight. Like, what's going on? I'm... <laughs> I don't know if I need more balloons like that guy from Up, but I was grabbing the rafters and I was yanking the rafters like trying to give me more speed. And I got about 50 feet over the house and Jesus was flying at me like Superman and he got right to me and he smiled and I woke up. Terror. Why? It's because the thought of living through the tribulation. Guys, this is going to be bad. You want to be on the first train, not the second one. What am I talking about here? Let me give you some context. The rapture happens at the start of the tribulation. The rapture happens and then the tribulation happens. Now, there are a lot of people that think, oh, there's a, it's a pre, is it mid, or is it post? It, it's pre, it's decidedly pre because the Bible says it's in the days of Noah, like in the days of Lot. And a lot of times we focus on the immorality that was going on there. But you have to notice Lot and Noah were taken out before the bad stuff hit. That's why most scholars believe pre-trib is what's going to happen. Now, the tribulation is a period of seven years, three and a half good, three and a half bad. Daniel's 70th week happens um, in that specific series. I don't have time to talk about that today, but it leads up to the second coming of Christ. So you have the rapture, seven years of the tribulation, and the second coming of Christ. Now, 
TikTok had me thinking hard about all this, y'all. This next month, if we make it to October, praise the Lord, um, we're going to do a series called TikTok Taught Me. We're going to try to be a little bit lighter because we have been some pretty heavy series, so we're going to try to do a light one. But TikTok Taught Me this October. Um, the algorithm, though, kept feeding me videos of the end times. And do y'all know how deep a rabbit hole you can go on TikTok? Like, I mean, you wake up one day and you're like seeing the Ace of Spades and the little Queen of Hearts and all that. Like, how did I get here with the rabbits, you know? Um, but here's the thing. You have all this stuff going on geopolitically that I talked about. You have the constellations Virgo and Leo lining up exactly like Revelation 12 says they're going to line up. Now, I'm not talking about like Libras and Virgos can hang out because they're compatible. I'm not talking about astrology. That stuff is ridiculous. I mean, my goodness, do not live your life based on what a newspaper says that your sign is this week. It's just ridiculous. It's spiritualism is what it is. Um, but biblically, the tribulation starts with the Feast of Trumpets, which guess what? It's happening right now. This weekend is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, what is the Feast of Trumpets? Here's something interesting about the Feast of Trumpets. Number one, it's the start of a Jewish New Year. And number two, it's the only feast that they have where there is no specific time it starts. Now, why is that interesting? Here's what happens. Two rabbis go out on the night or the day that, that uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, is supposed to start. And they look up at the moon and both of them have to decide on the exact moment when it should start. And once they've decided, that's when Rosh Hashanah starts. Now, here's what I find interesting. Jesus said, no man knows the hour or day, not even the sun. Well, that would mean then that Jesus doesn't know everything. No. What if what we see on earth is just a mimicry of what we see in heaven? That God the Father and God the Son are going to come together and decide the right time together. And then once that happens, the Feast of Trumpets, boom, everything happens. It's just very interesting. All of that coincides with each other. Um, we have some other things going on. Um, like, for instance, the Euphrates completely drying up. The Bible says this is going to happen. You can walk across the river right now because there is no river. It's dried completely. The Bible says at this point, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to release, be released. And the first one is going to kill one-third of humanity. That's 2.3 billion people. Yeah. Earthquakes in Morocco. 3,000 just died from an earthquake. There was a dam that burst because of the heavy rains in Libya, and 13,000 people were killed in a matter of minutes. The tribulation will come after a treaty that's going to be signed between Israel and what the Bible calls the prince in Daniel chapter 9. You can go read this. Now, could this be the peace deal that's supposed to be signed this week between Israel and Saudi Arabia? Remember, Saudi Arabia is a BRICS nation that's in league with nations who are historically against Israel. They hate Israel, and they want Israel's destruction. But incidentally, this specific peace deal comes with the caveat that says the United States must also agree to provide weapons and military support to Saudi Arabia should they be attacked. Now, what happens if they renege on this deal and attack Israel and Israel attacks Saudi Arabia and we've got to honor our treaty with Saudi Arabia and go against Israel now? Listen to this. Saudi Arabia is the leader of the Arab and Islamic world. It's never formally recognized Israel since the creation of the state in 1948. Now, who is the leader of Saudi Arabia? This is interesting. Mohammed bin Salman Asud. He's the crown prince. Wait a minute. Daniel chapter 9 says that Israel, the treaty between Israel and the Bible is going to be signed by a prince. Interesting. Check this out. In 2016, Prince, the prince um, introduced Vision 2030, Saudi Arabia's vision of the future, which is aimed at making the kingdom the heart of the Arab and Islamic world, an investment powerhouse, and a hub that connects three nations together. 
you know who was a recent applicant to BRICS as well? It's Palestine. The people that have sworn to annihilate Israel. The Daniel 9 prophecy is that three and a half years there's a peace treaty. And then after three and a half years it's going to be broken and the abomination of desolation is going to happen. And that describes basically when the Antichrist appears, he goes into the temple, he creates an idol, and then he makes a sacrifice and it completely destroys and puts an end to the sacrificial system and Israel as a nation. That's what's supposed to happen. Y'all, that's a lot of signs. And if I'm honest with you, a few weeks back, uh, I got terrified for two reasons. First is I thought about how many people are going to die and go to hell. Do you think when you go to Walmart today to buy your milk for Monday so the kids can have cereal? Once you think about how many people you see walking around Walmart, then I want you to ask yourself how many are going to go to hell. Billions. They're your friends. They're your coworkers. They're your family. They're people around town. They're your high school buds. The tribulation is going to be horrendous, guys. It's going to be horrible. And Jesus told us in Matthew 24, immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign of the sun, the sun of man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. Y'all, it's God's unfiltered wrath. We have never seen God's unfiltered wrath. Even with Noah, even with Lot, that was filtered. But the second thing I thought about, and I hope this doesn't sound too selfish to you, I thought about myself. I thought, where, where do I stand with Jesus? And I thought of this verse in Matthew chapter 7, 21. It says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Y'all, it made my insides go numb. Because I love doing for Jesus. But do I love Jesus? As a pastor... It can be very easy to get a message, to go to the Bible for study for a message and not for a relationship. It can be very easy to pray because I need to pray for someone instead of just spend time with Jesus. So let me ask you the two questions I asked myself. Number one, do you know about him or do you know him? And, and the second is, Whatever that answer is, do your actions prove it? A pastor on TikTok made this comment that brought some peace to my heart. He said, if the thought of depart from me, you worker of iniquity, puts conviction inside of you, it's evidence that you know him. Yeah, it's not the time to back off. It's not the time to back off from the church, from the kingdom, from God. You know, while there are a lot of crazy negative signs, there's some good ones too. What about the revival at Asbury that happened this year? These teenagers, I mean, these college students, it's amazing. What about the Jesus Revolution? What, what about The Chosen? It's on Netflix, y'all. You can watch the craziest filth and then the, the click over to Netflix to, to the, the, a Jesus movie, man. Uh, what about the revival that's just happened at Auburn this week? Did y'all hear about this? There was a revival at Auburn University this week. Five girls a few months back started coming to this auditorium and spending time praying. That, those five girls over a couple months grew to 200 people. 
And then some churches around started seeing it and said, let's put some money into this. And they were able to host an event that had 5,000 college students come. Hundreds gave their lives to Jesus. And then they thought, well, if we've given our life to Jesus, let's get baptized. So they walked a mile to a lake on campus, surrounded the lake with cars. And they had, uh, they had just thousands and thousands of people out there. And they had like 400 people being baptized. Hugh Freeze, who is the coach of the football team at Auburn, was baptizing his football players. I'm a fraternity guy, okay? I was in Sigma Nu. A whole fraternity got saved. That's a miracle. <laughs> there are good things happening. What does it mean? It's not just the devil, but God is moving too. And what we see in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, that God will pour out His Spirit in the last days. It's happening right now. And so my question is, are you going to be a vessel to receive what God is pouring out, or are you going to reject Him? The message today is not about the end times, the rapture, or the tribulation. Y'all are like, well, dude, you just spent the last 30 minutes yapping about it. Over the last few weeks, I wanted to make sure I know two things. The first one is I want to make sure I know who he is. He is not lovey-dovey, happy sky papa. Okay? He's God Almighty. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he's for you. Yes, he gave everything for you. But don't you dare forget for a second that he is Lord God Almighty. He spoke everything you see into existence. We work our whole lives to create something that we hope to lead to our kids. He said a word and it all happened. Playing games with him hurts our commitment, just like playing games with the love interest does. I don't want to date Jesus. I want to covenant with him. But I better know who I'm dealing with. Listen, he is love. And he does love us. And that's what we always hear. Well, God is love, man. All you need is love. No, that's not true. Salvation doesn't come with confessing his love for us. It comes with confessing his lordship over us. That's the difference. Think of it in a dating relationship. Like when I first met Monique, I mean, she was stalking me already. So it's like, that's one thing because, you know, <laughs> your boy. <laughs> Babe, I'm, listen, as long as we live, I'm always going to tell it like that. And you're always going to refute it. So just get with the program. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> So, so she was stalking me. It was, I, I stalked her a little bit. But it still, listen, it started out with me liking her. Okay? I, I liked her. But then I got to a moment in my relationship with her where I realized I'm in love with this person. It's gone past just liking. I love her. And what it meant is I didn't just want Friday night or Saturday night. I wanted my life with her. I wanted covenant with her. And my like of her led to my love of her, and my love of her led to my covenant with her. The same thing happens with Jesus. You first like something, you hear about him. Well, I've never, been, I've never felt like this. He really does love me. And that opens the door to the love that you experience. But that love should make you want to embrace him. It should make you want covenant. It should make you crave lordship, not get scared of it. And here's what I think we've gotten to in the church. I think a lot of us like Jesus, but we don't love him. I'm telling you right now, if he's not Lord to you, you don't know him. You don't know him. I knew Monique pretty well when I liked her. 
I knew her pretty well when I loved her. But it was nothing like knowing her now that I've had covenant with her for 15 years. Can I tell you something? Covenant is exponentially better than anything. You, you want the bounds of marriage. You want the boundaries that come with marriage. Because they make you better. Can I tell you something? You want the boundaries that come with your relationship with Jesus because you're better in those boundaries. I want to make sure I know who he is. But the last thing is this. I want to make sure he knows who I am. I fought this notion that more importantly than me knowing who he is, is him knowing who I am. And I thought about that because as a pastor, I stand in front of you every single week and I, and I, I speak to you. You know, we have about 250 people coming to our church on, on average right now, which is a lot. It's wild. Um, but I can't know every single person like really, really closely. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I might can see you in passing and stuff like that. But there's some of you even I'm still trying to remember names and stuff like that because it's just a lot. But y'all y'all know me because y'all see me every day up here, like every Sunday up here. So it's easier for y'all to know me than it is. And I share a lot about my life. I share stories about Monique and my kids and my family. And so y'all know more about me than I know about y'all. But like, for instance, um, while I know Brandon pretty well, um, I didn't know Jeremy that well. And we happened to go fishing yesterday on the bay. And we got to spend four and a half hours floating around on the boat, catching stingrays. It's funny because I said this before, but the top of it was really mad. But the underside was like happy, you know, because of the stingray. Anyway, um, it was cute. But and then I was like, how do we get it back in the water? And Jeremy grabs the barge and goes, whoop. <laughs> so it was just funny. But I got to know him. And, and do you know why I got to know him better? Because I was willing to get proximity with him. I was really, I was willing to lean into him and leaning in means like putting, like closing the gap between you and someone. I want you to know something. If you really want to know Jesus, you got to close the gap. But listen to me. If you really want to want him to know you, you still got to close the gap. The Bible tells us very clearly in Matthew 7, 17, every healthy tree bears good fruit. Jesus is a healthy tree. I know you want to be a healthy tree, but the Bible also tells us in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to me. Jesus knows his branches. He knows who's connected to him. Connected to the vine. Does that describe you? Whether it does or not, we all need our connection to the vine increase. So let me leave you with this today. This is it. We're done here. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. What's John talking about? I want you to know something. That Jesus himself does not expect you to come find him. He comes and finds you. He found Peter in the boat. And even when Peter messed it all up, he found him in the boat again. He's at your door right now and he's knocking on the door. He's knocking. And your eternity is going to depend on whether or not you open the door. It's the simple gospel of what Jesus did for us. And he's knocking right now because he wants to come in and he wants to, to eat with you. He wants to fellowship with you. It's not about the food. It's about spending time with you. 
Jesus is leaning into you right now. That's why you hear the, the gentle knock. That's why you hear it. He's leaning into you right now. Hey, the response that we should have is to lean into him. So what's that look like? Here's what I want you to do. If you, if you have the liberty to do this today, will you just close your eyes and bow your head? Only reason I ask you to do that is so you can focus on the Lord. There's, nobody's pulling any tricks here. Just focus in on the Lord. Imagine, imagine Jesus standing at the door of your heart, knocking on that door. He's not coming in to tell you all the bad things you've done and how horrible you are. He's coming in because he wants to spend time with you. Listen to me. He doesn't just want you to know him. He wants to know you. And when it comes to the end times, what it's not going to take is a bunch of good works on your behalf. It's going to take, do you know him and does he know you? If you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, this is your moment. This is the time. The door right now, he's knocking. You don't have tomorrow promised. It's time to answer the door right now. So what does that mean? It's simply this. Jesus died on a cross for you. You see, we messed it up. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short. But Jesus is the one who came to earth, lived the sinless life that you should have lived, died on the cross that you should have died on, and gave you life that you didn't deserve to begin with. He's the one that's done all of that. And the Bible promises if we will confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. So this is your moment right now. If you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus or you need to give your life back to him, here's your chance right now. Just say it out of your mouth. You don't have to yell it, but just let air come out of your mouth. Jesus, I confess you as Lord of my life. I give you everything right now, Jesus. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I give you everything I am right now. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, don't look up, but if you are here right now and you made that prayer this morning, you have prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I'm making Jesus Lord of my life. Thank you, God. Praise God. My goodness. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's the last thing. You may have already done this. You may have already done this. But maybe you still hear a knock. Here's what I tell you. Those of you that already know Jesus and you still hear a knock, it's probably because he's wanting into the door that you're not letting him have. He's wanting to come into the spot that you have reserved for yourself. So here's your chance right now. Give it to him. Give him that spot. Just say to Jesus, I give you full access to everything in my heart and life. It's all yours. I give it to you right now. Father, I thank you. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank you for dying us. Holy Spirit, thank you for sealing our salvation within us, knowing that because we've said yes to Jesus, that he'll say yes to us. And no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what the end looks like, we know, Jesus, that we're coming home with you. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or 100 years, Jesus, we're going to live like it's the next moment. And if you agree with that and believe in that church, will you say amen? At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.